you've been in church very long, you've likely heard some variation of the saying, Christians are to be in the world, but not like the world. And what that means is, we are to be in and a part of this physical world without taking part in the actions and the attitudes of the corrupt world system that opposes and rebels against God and His Christ. Now, the delicate line that we have to walk in order to do this is difficult. And we typically make one of two mistakes as we try to live it out. One mistake uh, is what some do, and they are very... They do very well at being in the world, but they fail at the not being like the world part. Now, we don't have to look very far to see that worldliness is a pervasive problem in the modern church. In many cases, Christians have the same morals and values and spending habits and priorities and speech and are devoted to the same things as non-Christians. We're in the world and we're like the world because we've become conformed to the world and therefore we have very little influence on the world. On the other hand, there are those who do very well at not being like the world, but they fail at being in the world. These are Christians who live their lives in Christian bubbles. And if they have any contact with unbelievers at all, it is purely accidental. And it is kept as brief and as impersonal as possible. Now, this is especially problematic within conservative Christian circles. Uh, We, as conservative Christians, understand the Bible says we are to come out and be separate from the world. 2 Corinthians 6 and 17. But we take that well beyond the intent of Scripture. We take it to the point that we say it means that we don't have any contact at all with those who do not know Jesus. We're not in the world, so we can't be like the world, and therefore we have very little influence on the world. Now, I've heard various arguments trying to defend one of these two errors. Those who are like the world argue for things like relevance. Saying, if we aren't like the world, we won't be relevant to the world, and therefore we cannot reach the world. Now, this argument completely ignores the fact that Scripture calls on Christians to be different from the world. Those who are not at all in the world argue for things like holiness, saying that if we are not in the world, uh, we, if we are in the world, we might become like the world, and therefore we would not be holy. And this argument completely ignores the fact that Jesus walked among the people, ate with tax collectors and prostitutes, and was called a friend of sinners, and yet was the holiest of all. What I've come to realize in in talking to various people through the years who make these two different arguments is that the arguments have more to do with their preferences and their comfort than anything else. Those who are like the world, like the world. And relevance is a convenient way to excuse their worldliness. Those who are not in the world, they don't like the world. And they don't like others. And so, the the idea of not being in the world in holiness, it is a convenient way to excuse their lack of contact with those who desperately need Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have to understand that neither of these errors is acceptable. And both of these errors lead to our being disobedient to Jesus Christ. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. That is what Jesus expects and has modeled for us. But how do we do this? How can we walk that line and why should we do it? We're going to look today passage of scripture and try to answer those questions open your bible to matthew 5 
verse 13 is the only verse we're really going to look at today. That's page 736. The title of the message is A Disciple's Influence. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Now, notice that you are. Not you could be, you should be. You are. This is what we're intended to be as His disciples. But, He says, if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. The title of the message is A Disciple's Influence. Let's pray. Our Father, we love You today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we come today with a desire to be like Jesus. Jesus modeled this for us perfectly. He was in the world, but He was not like the world. Because of that, He had a tremendous influence on the world. That's what we want to be. Father, as we look at what Your Word says, open our hearts to receive it. Give us ears to hear what Your Holy Spirit is saying to us through the Word today. Father, guide us that we would be, we would have a desire to walk this line that we have to walk. Lord, it is easy to fall into one of the two errors. It is easy to act as though we're going to do this and not worry about anything else. Father, you've not called us to take the easy path and you've not called us, Lord, to not worry. You've called us. To go out and to have a righteous influence on the world around us. Lord, you've equipped us. I mean, you have wired us so that we can through your spirit and through what you have done in us and through us and for us. Today, help us to see this. Help us to believe it. Guide us so that when we go out of here today, we would go out understanding that we are salt and that we should have a righteous influence on the world. Father, where we don't bother us, where we are conformed to this world, bother us. Where we ignore the lostness of this world, bother us. Help us never to be complacent or content with anything other than Christ-likeness in our lives. Fill me with Your Spirit this morning that I can speak Your words and Your ways for Your glory. Be clarity of thought and clarity of speech so that I would not be a hindrance in any way to what you want done. Have your way, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So what does it mean that we are the salt of the earth? Now the main idea associated with salt in Jesus' day was that of a preservative. It was rubbed into meat to slow down the decaying process. And one of the things about salt is that it is noticeable by its presence and by its absence. If the meat has been salted, it would be obvious by the fact that the decaying process had been slowed down. If the meat had not been salted, it would also be obvious because of its rapid decay. To be salt in the world is to be a righteous influence on the world around us for Christ. Just as the presence or absence of salt on meat is obvious... It is also obvious if followers of Jesus Christ are influencing their world, their community, or not. When there is an absence of Christian influence in a community, it will be noticeable 
by the rapidly decaying morals of the community. When the Christians are influencing their community, it's noticeable by the preservation of godly morals and the advance of the gospel within the community. To be salt, it is to be a righteous influence on the world for Christ. And it's from that idea of being a righteous influence that the main idea comes from. Disciples should have a righteous influence on the world. Our world is bombarded with negative influences. I think we would all agree. Music, television, movies, peers, news, you name it. And there's something bad somebody has to say about something. And it's not just something bad to say. It is a, an actual negative influence that brings out our baser nature. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are meant to counteract that. We are meant to be in opposition against those things. So how do we do that? Three actions, three ways. One, we have to be aware. One of the greatest needs for American believers is to think deeply about the kind of influence Jesus intends for us to be. Now, thinking deeply about this will help us be aware of two aspects of being a righteous influence. First, be aware of opportunities. We need to realize what great opportunities we have to be a righteous influence. Think about where you go in a week. Your home, your job, your school, your various activities. And just all of the times that you are out and about in the community at large. Every time we go out, we have an opportunity to be a righteous influence for Christ. I mean, because we see certain people on a semi-regular basis. I mean, we all have people that we can influence. I'm not talking about just random people that we may encounter at Walmart that we'll never see before and we'll never see again. I'm talking about people that we see regularly. Right? These people are what we might call our circle of influence. And while our individual circles of influence are, are different, they also have some overlap. Right? If we were to sit around and talk about people that we saw on a regular basis, there would be some that you see that I've never even heard of and would never see. There would be some that I see that you probably don't know and you never see. But at the same time, there would be some people that we would have in common. There would be some overlap that, that I have the opportunity to influence and that you also have the opportunity to influence. But the key for us to be a righteous influence is to be aware that these are opportunities. Right? That these people that we see, they present us a regular opportunity to have a righteous influence on the world around us. That they present us an opportunity to be a righteous influence on our, our community, on our home, on our jobs, wherever we go. Now, I think in part, being a righteous influence is a matter of being aware. Because I don't think you can just set out and say, I'm going to influence someone in a righteous way. Maybe you can, depending on the environment you work in. But I think by and large it's a matter of chance encounters that you see that there's an opportunity here to be an influence. I think Jesus is the great example of that. Think about his life and ministry. How often 
Did Jesus set out to do the things that he did? Very rarely. In fact, more often than not, what Jesus did was just live his life. Do what he was doing as a teacher and trying to to teach his disciples and opportunities arose. But he was just sitting on a well, waiting on his disciples to get food. When an opportunity came up for him to talk to a woman about her need for his grace. He was just trying to get away for a bit with his disciples. When an opportunity came up because a multitude of people followed him and became hungry. And it gave him an opportunity to feed 5,000 and to show them the glory and the power of God. He was just going into town when he saw a man in a sycamore tree. And he had the opportunity to go to his house and be a righteous influence on him. Jesus lived his life. And as he lived his life, he was aware of the people around him. And he was aware of the opportunities that that may present him to be a righteous influence on them. And when those opportunities arose, he took them. There is an example there for us to follow. But there is a, an effort of intentionality on our part. And, and this is something I'm working on in my life. I, I don't ever want to come across as you all be like me and the world would be a better place. But instead, it's I'm trying to live this out, too. Let's go together. Right, so I just give you an example of something I'm doing as far as being aware. Typically, in times past, when I go out, I'm on my phone. I go to Walmart. I have a list on my phone or whatever. And I'm looking and texting and all of this. And I don't pay attention because I'm trying to get in and out. Well, now what I've started doing is I, if I have my list on my phone, I look at what I need. But then I put my phone in my pocket. And I don't get it out the whole time I'm in Walmart if I can help it. Right, if I'm out... Out and about in the community, whether I'm at the park, whether I'm at Walmart, whether I'm at the grocery store, or just walking down the street. I do everything in my power to keep my phone in my pocket so that I'm not distracted by that. And I look at the people that I encounter. You never know when someone will make eye contact. You never know when the Lord might say, go pray with them. You never know when it's somebody you you may have met at times past and an opportunity to reconnect and invite them to church may come up. But all of those are things I would miss because I'm looking at my phone as I'm walking through the store. You look up just long enough to make sure I don't run into people and stuff. So I'm trying to be aware. Be aware of the people and be aware of the opportunities When they arrive. And you have to find your ways to do that. What can you do this week. To be be more aware of the people. In your sphere of influence. What can you do this week. To be more aware of the opportunities that arise. To be a righteous influence on them. So I'm not saying go to work tomorrow. And stand up on your desk and holler at people. About repent and believe lest they go to hell. I'm not saying do that. But I'm saying opportunities that you'll see maybe to pray with them, invite them to church, tell them about what Jesus is doing in your life, help them make a good decision, a righteous decision rather than an unrighteous one. What can you do to be aware of these opportunities? Be aware of the people around you. It's what Jesus did. It's what we're supposed to do. But be aware of the opportunities, but also be aware of potential. I'm convinced 
that one of the, the biggest problems in the modern day American disciples of Jesus Christ is we have an inferiority complex. We are not aware the power of our God. We are not aware of what He can really do in us and through us and for us. Chances are, there are some in here today, and already you've started thinking, well, there's no way I could really make a difference. That there's no way I could really be a righteous influence that made any kind of a difference at all in, my, in the world around me, in my co-workers, in my home, in my community, wherever I'm at and whatever I do. But we should. We should believe that we can make a difference. Right? Because Jesus said that we, we are salt. I mean, that is what He has made us to be. We should believe we can, not because we're so awesome, but because of what Jesus is going to do in us and through us and for us. If it is something Jesus wants us to do, Jesus will always empower us to do it. He wants us to be salt. Because He said that's what we are. So He will empower us to be a righteous influence on the world around us. But we have to believe it. We have to believe that we can do it. We have to believe that we can make a difference. There are loads of stories throughout church history of ordinary people who were a righteous influence on the world around them and made a difference. One of my, one I always like is the story of a, a Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball. Has anybody ever heard of him? He was a Sunday school teacher in the 1800s that he made a decision. He would do everything in his power to reach every boy in his Sunday school class for Jesus, every young man in his Sunday school class for Jesus. And one of the people he reached was an uneducated shoe salesman named Dwight Lyman Moody. And D.L. Moody went on to become one of the greatest evangelists in American history. But D.L. Moody was won to Christ by a, by a man that most of us have never even heard of. An ordinary guy that taught a Sunday school class and determined he would be a righteous influence on the world around him. There's a story about a, a preacher. I heard from a preacher in Tulsa about a retired man in his church that was determined to invite at least one person to church every day. He told that to his pastor and the, the pastor telling the story said he wasn't, he wasn't impressed. That wasn't a very big life goal, he thought. Invite one person a day to church. Surely you could do more. But then years later, when this guy passed away and the church was filled with people he remembered the story and so he said if you're here today and and this guy invited you to church and you went to church whether here or another church and you came to know Jesus Christ as your savior would you stand according to the pastor over a hundred people stood up all he did was invite someone to church every day and changed a hundred Eternal destinies, at least. There's a story about a retired man in Japan who lives near a cliff that's somewhat famous for the number of people who jump off of it every year. 
And he goes out every day. And he walks up and down that cliff. And he finds people that he thinks might be trying to jump off of it. And he goes and makes friends with them. And he talks to them. And he tells them he loves them and that God loves them. And that he'd be their friend. And that Jesus could help them in whatever problem they are. When I read the story several years ago. He had already talked 12 people off the ledge. He's just an ordinary guy. Going out to try to talk to people. But my favorite story. Is a story I've actually told before. And it's a story of my, my granny Doolin. Uh, I've told a longer story before, so I'm going to give the abridged version today. My granny Doolin was a preacher's kid. Her dad was a Pentecostal preacher. And, and despite coming from a godly family, she fell in love with my grandpa, who was an outlaw from an outlaw family. Now, when I say my grandpa was an outlaw and he came from an outlaw family, that's not a, a cool term for cool bad boys. They were legitimate outlaws. My grandpa was the first man in his family to die of natural causes. Every other man before him died in a gunfight, a knife fight, was hung by the law, or murdered in some way. They gambled, they beat people up, they robbed banks, occasionally they killed people. The women in the family were not really any different from the men. Now my grandpa was not the exception to the rule. He was every bit the outlaw that everyone else in his family was. One of my favorite stories that I was told as a kid about Grandpa was he was in jail for something at one point, county jail, county lockup, and he was playing checkers with a guy next to him. And for some reason he got mad at that guy, and he reached through the cell and grabbed the guy by the head and pulled his head up there and bit his ear off. That was my Grandpa. But Granny not only married my Grandpa, but she determined that her kids would not be like his family. They would be different. They had eight kids. And Granny insisted that every one of those kids go to church. So the girls always went to church. And the boys went till they were about 14 or 15. And Grandpa said they needed to be out in the field working, not in church with the women. Throughout her life, Granny never wavered in her commitment to Jesus or her desire to influence her family for Christ, to be a righteous influence. My mom, my uncles, and my aunts were vastly different than the family that came before them. Rather than outlaws, my uncles and aunts were good men and women, productive members of society, and in varying degrees, they all raised their kids in church. One of my uncles ended up being a respected lawman in the community where his family had been outlaws. Most of my aunts and a few of my uncles served Jesus faithfully, until they passed away. Our family is very different today than it was when Granny married Grandpa. Most of her grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and even a couple of great-great-grandchildren are faithfully serving Jesus right now. The difference between our family now and our family then to Granny. The end. That's the only thing that made a difference. Her righteous influence, it made an eternal difference in our family. Changed the whole course of who we are as people. Granny was the first person to share the gospel with me and tell me that I needed to call on Jesus to save me. She is a huge part of the reason I am who I am today. She changed an entire family. 
She never preached a sermon. She never taught a Sunday school lesson. She never sang a special. She raised her kids, determined to be a righteous influence on them. Only God knows what kind of difference you can make in the world around you if you're aware of the potential of what God can do in you and through you and for you. Be aware of the opportunities. And be aware of your potential to make a difference in Christ. The church of Jesus Christ. We are not poor and pitiful and powerless. We are spirit filled and spirit led. And the power of the gospel that works in us and through us can change lives. Choose to believe what Scripture says about you is true. Choose to believe you can make the difference Scripture says you can make. Choose to believe the difference Christ has made in you. And that that can spread to those around you. Be aware. But then secondly, and and I wrestled with how to word this, but this is how I put it. Don't be a joy sucker. Now, I was going to say, put it in the form of be, be joyful. But this really is the, what we've got to get. Don't be a joy sucker. My pastor, Tommy Honeycutt, is the first person I ever heard use the term. But he talked about people who could just walk in a room and suck the joy out of everyone's life. You probably know someone like this. We all do. If you get a new car, they see a ding in it. Or they know someone who bought one just like it but paid about $1,000 less than you did. Sorry. If you get a new dress, it's pretty, but you do look kind of fluffy in it. No matter the situation, no matter what's going on, they can see that dark cloud behind your silver lining. And after being with them for a while, so do you. You know, the sad truth is, Many people think of Christians as being depressed, unhappy, joy-sucking people. I read a quote this week, and it's, it's just kind of interesting to me. It's actually two different, about two different guys. The judge, Oliver Wendell Holmes, once said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. And then this one. Robert Lewis Stevenson once entered into his diary and he wrote this as if if he were recording an extraordinary phenomenon. I have been to church today and am not depressed. Christians should be the most joyful, encouraging people on the planet. Our past is forgiven. Our future is secured. Our present is spent walking with Jesus. We have great and precious promises that have been given to us. That's why scripture says we are to rejoice in the Lord always. If someone does not want to be around you, let it be because you live such a pure but not self-righteous life that they're convicted by. 
Let it be your holiness and devotion to Jesus that make them uncomfortable and not your negativity and your depressing language. You cannot be a righteous influence on someone by depressing the life out of them. You cannot be a righteous influence on someone by sucking the joy out of every situation you're a part of. If you want to be a righteous influence on someone's life, rejoice in what the Lord has done for you. And rejoice to such an extent that they say, why do you have such joy? Why are you so different? Why are you so hopeful, so encouraging, so peace-filled? Don't be a joy sucker. Be aware. Don't be a joy sucker. And then thirdly, be different. Jesus expects that His people, His disciples, would be different than the world around them. We find this all through Scripture. We see it, we'll look at it later in the Summer on the Mount, but look just quickly at Matthew 6, 31 and 32. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Now notice the difference. For after all these things the Gentiles or the unbelievers seek, Heavenly Father knows you need all of these things. Jesus expects His disciples to have a different source of devotion and a different confidence than those around Him who do not know Him. And there is one verse, one passage that is most familiar that sums it up best. Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now the phrase, do not be conformed to this world, if you grew up in church, you've heard that all kinds of times and in all kinds of ways. Now some say conformity to the world is to depart in any way from anything that's not traditional. Others say it is to to take interest in anything that is not inherently Christian. But neither of those are accurate descriptions of what it means to conform to the world. The best explanation of what it means to be conformed to the world actually comes, in my mind, from the message paraphrase of this verse. Don't be so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. I love that. I mean, that is a challenging statement. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in Without even really thinking. Have you ever really sat down. Thought about what Jesus said. About what we're supposed to be like. What it means to live for him. What impact his sacrifice on our behalf makes. You know when you read through Paul's writing. A lot of times Paul will say do this because of what Christ has done for you. When we embrace Jesus and we embrace the cross, it, it, it changes more than our eternal destiny. It changes who we are here in this life. But it, it affects our values. It affects our priorities. It affects our attitudes. It affects our actions. It affects our reactions. It affects our morality. It affects our use of time. It affects how we spend our money. It affects how we raise our children. It affects the way we work on our jobs. It affects the way we treat our spouse. There is no area of life 
that is not affected because of our faith in Jesus and what He has done for us in the cross. Scripture speaks to all of these areas of life and in every area of life where Scripture speaks, it is different than the unbelieving world around us. So are we more like Jesus or are we more like the world? I mean, do we put forth effort to make sure that we value what Jesus valued? Are we sure that our priorities are the priorities that Jesus had? Are we doing the things that Jesus did? Do we react to stressors and hardships and trials in the way that Jesus reacted? Do we have the attitudes that Jesus had? Do we talk the way Jesus talked? Do we use our time and our resources in a way that demonstrate the value of what Christ did for us on the cross? Do we love our our spouses like Jesus loves the church? Do we work for our employers as though we're working for Jesus? All of those things are are what it's like and what it's meant to follow Jesus. The sad fact is, many believers in our day have become so well adjusted to the culture that they fit in without nary a thought about whether this is what Jesus would have them to do or how a worldly unbelieving world lives. In many cases, professing believers are the same as unbelievers in their values and their priorities and their attitudes and their actions and their reactions and the morality the way they use their time, the way they use their money, the way they parent, the way they act on the job. In many cases, the only thing that would distinguish a believer from an unbeliever is a verbal profession of faith. Nothing by way of how we live or what we do Or who we are. Besides this clearly not being the way Jesus intends for it to be. It also prevents us from being salt in the world. You cannot be a righteous influence on the world. If you're just like the world. We cannot have a righteous influence on the world's values if we have the world's values. We can't have a righteous influence on the world's priorities if we have the world's priorities. We can't have a righteous influence on the world's attitudes when we share the world's attitudes. And and I want right now to go off on a tangent. About how we act with politics. And how that 
when you look at how Christians engage in political discussions, it's virtually identical to the way unbelievers engage in political discussions. But I'm not going to. I'm going to move on. We cannot influence the world when we are just like the world. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are meant to be different. Now Jesus, He talked about what would happen if we were not salt. You are the salt of the earth, but if a salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now salt in Jesus' day was a valuable commodity. And if salt were to lose its saltiness, it would be of, of no value at all. Now in Luke's account, Luke talks about salt having lost its saltiness. He makes a statement that I always find fascinating. He said it would be so so useless that it would not even be fit for the dunghill. I always think that's really bad. I mean, for something to be so useless, it would ruin a pile of manure. That's, that's bad. And yet, a salt without saltiness, that's what it is. Now, Jesus' point by saying that the salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing, is that disciples who aren't a righteous influence, that they're like salt that's lost its saltiness. They're of no value to the kingdom of God. To the purposes of Jesus. Now that doesn't mean they're not valuable to Jesus. Because they are. Everyone is valuable to Jesus. But it does mean. That they cannot help Jesus accomplish his purposes. On the earth. We can talk all day about how much we love Jesus. But if we are not a righteous influence. We cannot further his agenda. In the world. In fact. The reality is. Unsalty Christians often hinder the, move, the advancement of the kingdom. They not only don't help it, they hinder it from moving forward. I mean, we could, we could all point to conversations we've had with unbelievers where they say, well, what about that Christian over there? Or what about that person there? And they acted like that and they said this and they did that. I don't, I don't need that. I'm just, I'm, I'm as good as them already. Haven't we all had those sort of conversations? Who are they pointing to? Professors of faith in Christ that don't have a righteous influence. Unsalty Christians. And what those people do is they hinder the advance of the gospel. They keep people from the kingdom. If we want to be useful for the kingdom of God, we want to help advance the gospel and see Jesus save souls and change lives. We have to determine we're going to be the righteous influence He intends for us to be. We're going to be aware of the opportunities that are around us. Be aware of the 
potential we have to make an influence because of Jesus. We're going to take seriously the fact that we're joy suckers if we are. And we're going to repent of it as sin. And do everything in our power to stop being that way. And then we're going to evaluate our lives and say, do I, am I like Jesus or am I like the world? And where we find that we're like the world, we'll repent. We'll turn from that. And we'll do what we can to be more like Jesus than we are the world. And when we do those things, we will be a righteous influence on the world around us. We'll advance the kingdom of God. We will be useful for our master's purposes. And we will make an eternal difference in lives of people that we encounter on a regular basis. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. There is always something that Jesus wants us to do with his word, with the messages we hear. Not because they're me and I'm speaking, but because it comes from his word. So what do what do we need to do? What do I need to do? What do you need to do so that I can be we can be the righteous influence on the world that we're meant to be? Do you need to repent of your sins? And trust in Jesus for your salvation? Right, is that the first step you, you need to make? That you have never personally turned away from your sin and turned to Christ and called on Him to be saved? That's the first step. We cannot be salt until Christ makes us salt. Or, or is there a sin in your life that you need to confess as a believer? That you know that sin is hindering your ability to to be salty. To be a righteous influence on the world around you. Do you need to, to pray for Jesus to help you to be more aware? More aware of the opportunities. More aware of who you are in Him so that He could work through you. Do you know that you're a joy sucker and you need to repent of that? And ask Jesus to help you to change your attitude. You already know that you're so much like the world you can't influence them. And you need to repent and and ask for change. Whatever the Lord is leading you to do, whatever the Holy Spirit is dealing with you about, let's take this opportunity and let's call upon Him. And let's be changed, filled So that we can be salty Christians who are a righteous influence on the world around us.